Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Footballistically, Arsenal is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello and welcome to Footballistically Arsenal. I'm Boyd Hilton. I'm joined as usual by Josh Landy, who's sitting across the table from me. Hi, Josh. A, a lovely table a we've lovely got today. A lovely table. We should say this is a very special edition of the podcast. Not only is it our first podcast of 2019, and we will be talking about recent Arsenal events during the Christmas festive New Year period, we are joined by one of our most exciting guests in the history of the, of the eight years of this podcast, John Burko, the Right Honourable John Burko MP, Speaker of the House of Commons. Welcome, John. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to talk Arsenal. Good. And you should just say, you've been an Arsenal fan for how long? I've been an Arsenal fan since 1971. Double winning year. When I was eight. Yes, the double winning year. And my first memories were seeing, I think, a fleeting image on the late night news, which I'd been allowed to stay up to see, of... Arsenal getting a late goal at Spurs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cue the phrase we've used for the last 47 years. We won the league at White Hart Lane. Absolutely. In fact, if memory serves me correctly, you guys will know better. I don't think we needed to win. I think a draw would have sufficed. But I think we got so, a late yeah. goal. I think it was Ray Kennedy, but I may be wrong. Yeah. So that was my first memory. And my first memory of watching a match, albeit not at the ground, rather on television, was the unforgettable FA Cup final victory in 1971 with the Charlie George winning goal. So in other words, the double year, as you rightly said a moment ago. That's a good start for an Arsenal fan. It's a good start. start. I I think I started in a good year, partly under the influence of a friend of the family and partly, I think, also because my sister used to swim and take synchronised swimming lessons in Essex Road baths in Islington and albeit it was a very different part of North London from where I lived, which was sort of Woodside Park and then Mill Hill, it was obviously very heavily populated with Arsenal fans. Oh, well. And we should say we're recording this. Also, normally we're recording in our fairly rubbish studio in Old Street somewhere. We are in your... So this is part of your 
quarters, if you like, in the House of Commons. We're in the House of Commons. What is this room what we're in right now? Just in case, for, well, actually, it's called the state bedroom. <laughs> but for the benefit of your <laughs> listeners, I probably ought to make it clear that although there is a ceremonial bed here, there, there is. is a history to it with which I won't bore you, it's not a bed in which I sleep. My <laughs> wife and I and our children live above the shop, so to speak, in an apartment upstairs. But this is the state bedroom, and it's part of a set of rooms, which are the state rooms of Speaker's House, and they're my working rooms, and I've been obviously working most of the day, and no doubt I'll do some more work later, but what a wonderful interlude to come out of there and into this room to talk to you guys. I was going to say, because we should give you special kudos for taking time in this must be, I'm guessing... You know, what with Brexit and everything, the busiest... It must be the busiest, most hectic time of your of your career, maybe, am I right? I mean, Yes, it's certainly a very, very busy time. But, of course, although that brings pressures with it, you have to switch off, Boyd. Josh, if you don't switch off and do something else, think about something else, focus yeah. on something else, enjoy something else, well, A, you become very boring, and B, you're in danger of, in a sense, almost going off the rails... You know, you have to have, I think, pleasures outside of work. And I won't say I've had a lot of pleasures outside of work for all of my working life, but certainly for many, many years I've had a number of go-to enthusiasms and which help me the big switch one. off. Would you say Arsenal is the, is the big one for you now? Do you get to go to games, you're a season ticket holder? Yes, I'm yeah. a season ticket holder. We have two season tickets. Yes, it's the biggest consumer of time. If I'm absolutely honest with you, I'm a fanatical tennis fan, and that's a very, very big interest. And you know, I'm a, not a good tennis player, but I'm a better tennis player than I ever was a footballer. <laughs> but in terms of time spent going to watch, I spend more time going to watch football than I spend going to watch tennis. I watch tennis at the O2 and at Wimbledon mm. and sometimes elsewhere. But I'm going to Arsenal typically for almost every home game in the season and for about six away games a year. So I probably go to 30, 35 That's matches a year. And do you have any rituals that you do on a match day? Is it the same walk? Anything you pick up on the way to the game? It's not always the same walk, Josh. Sometimes we go to Arsenal Station... And that's a very short walk to the main stadium entrance. And we buy our programme just before we go up the steps and over the Kenfriar Bridge. Sometimes we decide, maybe because we're a little early, we're always early, but sometimes if we're very early, we decide to get out at Finsbury Park and do the 10-minute walk to the stadium. So it's not an absolutely common ritual. It is our standard practice afterwards always to go to Finsbury Park, mainly because if you queue for Arsenal Station after the match, there's a long queue, and if it's cold, you know, it is a fairly dispiriting experience. So we tend to think it's better, more therapeutic and more satisfying, really, to walk 10 minutes or so to Finsbury Park, and when we get there, usually the queue to get into the station is less. What other part of the ritual have I not mentioned? Well, I suppose we always get cups of tea before we go into the seats and I sometimes buy a hot dog and I'll buy a packet of sweets for my son Oliver 
So, yeah, we've got those two season tickets. We sometimes go as guests, if I'm honest, of other friends. Uh, Frank Warren, I make no secret of this, the boxing promoter is a very good friend of mine, and he has a box, and he often wants us to join him in his box to watch matches. And if that happens, then I just give my tickets for use by friends. I wouldn't sell them back to the club. I, mean, I suppose I could, but I wouldn't do that. I just give them to other mm. people. So I sometimes go as a guest to Frank, and very occasionally it's a huge privilege to be invited to go in the director's box or whatever. But most of the time we're in our seats and we love being there. We're by the corner flag, West Stand, that is to say not the clock end, but the North Bank end. And we feel we've got a very good view and it's a huge privilege. My son Oliver is much more knowledgeable now about the team and about football and about players than I am. He absolutely loves it and it's great bonding. Mm. And the other question which I have to ask you is because the club has been so defined by the Arsene Wenger era, and that was, as of course you're aware, it was a, a period until he left uh, last season of great turmoil towards the end. Were you a Wenger out brigade, or were you an Arsene knows best, or were you neither of those, and you kind of ploughed your own furrow? <laughs> I suppose I was somewhere in the middle. I mean, if you ask me, in essence, was I a, a Wenger fan, the yeah. answer was yes. Uh, if you ask me, moreover, was I pushing for him to go the answer is no in that sense i suppose in a way that's not true of my political track record where i've been notably independent-minded and outspoken i am something of a loyalist if truth be told uh, please don't take this the wrong way and i hope your listeners won't take this the wrong way but i often think that in the stadium there are almost sixty thousand people who think that they are the expert they think they know best they certainly think that they've got a clearer idea about how to do things than the manager or chief coach but thinking they know best and knowing best are not synonymous. And maybe also because I know that though I'm passionate about Arsenal and passionate about football and passionate about the sport, I'm not an expert. I have tended to defer to the manager of the day. And I do think that, frankly, you have to get behind the manager. And so when sort of towards the end of last season, but more particularly towards the end of the previous season, you know, when we had a real battle on, yeah. there were noisy demonstrations and people calling for Wenger's head. That's cut against my instinct of what the club ought to be doing and its fans ought to be doing. And I thought, well, I think I remember giving an interview at one point and saying, well, you know, what happens in due course remains to be seen. But at this point, with six, eight, ten games to go and the prospect still of an FA Cup victory in sight and the battle to try to get into the top four, let's rally behind the manager and the players and encourage rather than abuse. Look... There is a debate about whether Arsene Wenger stayed on a year or two longer than was wise. Maybe he did. But I must say I did find some of the ad hominem abuse oh, yeah. of Arsene yeah. Wenger incredibly unattractive. Oh, yeah, terrible, yeah. And personally, if you ask me, do I think he was a great manager? I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe in the end he ran out of steam. And everybody has to step down at some point, but was I fundamentally an admirer or a critic? I was an admirer. I mean, was I somebody who wanted him to leave three, four, five years ago? No, I was very supportive. I thought he was a terrific influence at the club, far more successful than most managers. And I couldn't help but think that when people said we've got to have a change, they needed to be careful of what they wished for, and they needed to have a clear sense of what change would look like.
It's funny you say that because I think our last podcast was called Big F What You Wish For, wasn't it? Because we were talking about how, well, now we have got a new manager, um, you know, this half a season in practically. He's doing kind of almost as well as you could expect in the sense yes. that it certainly hasn't, we're not, certainly not worse, we're kind of on a par, aren't we, now, as to where we were last season, if you like, I think. Maybe one or two points more. Anyway, but do you feel now, well, actually, we needn't have been scared because this guy, Unai Emery, is, is doing a perfectly decent job. He seems like perfectly up to the task. Or do, you th- or, or, or do you think, actually, maybe he should be doing better? No, I think he's doing as well as could be expected. He came from left field. I wasn't conscious of his record. He's, of course, got a very good record in the Europa League, and he's got a lot to his credit. And I think he's a skilled and thoughtful coach and counsel to the team. However, you don't change things overnight, or at least you don't transform the fortunes of a team that has been flagging in one fell swoop. I think there's an argument for saying that, notwithstanding the modern culture and apparent preference of fans for speedy dismissal of a manager after a run of three poor games... The reality is that a manager needs at least a couple of seasons, especially with a team in transition or a team that's had a previous manager for a very long time. And that manager needs, I would say, at least two, if not three, transfer windows in which to seek to impose his own imprint on the team. Meanwhile, he's got that which he inherited. He's got to try different configurations, different formulations, different game plans, see how that works. It may be some players he doesn't think are that good, or he may think, well, a player is good, but that player doesn't fit my intended Mm. style for this club. And I suppose he's also got to consider, you know, what do I keep of the old style and what do I put in that is new? Uh, Or if you take a guy like Mesut Ozil, you know, an incredibly talented player, I personally think it's entirely reasonable for Unai Emery to take the attitude. This guy is very talented, and at his best, he is brilliant and magisterial. But we need him to be at his best, not 30% of the time, but 70 or 75% of the time. I mean, i just give that as an example. Absolutely, yeah. But I don't want to knock our own <laughs> fans. I love Arsenal fans, and lots of Arsenal fans are friends. But I do think we sometimes have a bit of a sense of entitlement. And I remember once when I was moaning to a friend of mine a few years ago that we hadn't won anything. This was before the FA Cup victory in 2014. And he said to me, John, I'm a Newcastle fan. We haven't won anything for decades. He said, but we just get on with it. You know, and he said, your team is nevertheless very successful, but your fans tend to expect to win something every year. And I just think, With the new manager, you've got to give him a chance. I can reserve the right to be critical of individual tactical decisions, substitutions, preferences for one player or another. Of course, like anybody else, one is entitled to one's opinion. But am I inclined to go from strong support one day to coruscating criticism the next just because we have a bad result? No, I think that that's not reasonable or fair. And so I know this is probably a rather boring answer, but I think he's been a good acquisition. Uh, I do rather like, for example, the fact that he's very active on the touchline, much as I admired Arsene, and Arsene had a different approach. Mm. I like to see that visible passion, that gesticulation, that hollering of instructions to the players on the pitch, that engagement right throughout in, in a way that obviously wasn't... Arsene Wenger's preference. The other thing that I like, 
at this early stage is the fact that I think that Unai Emery is decisive in making substitutions. He doesn't wait until 60, 70, 75 minutes into the game, which Arsene tended to prefer to do. My anxiety about that was that I often thought, well, you're just not giving enough time for a difference to be made. And, you know, if by half-time, you know, it's clear that a player isn't really impacting uh, or is being outrun by the defence, or if a defender is consistently being outrun by the opposition's forward, you know, down the wing or wherever it may be, well, then surely that suggests that a change should be made. Why wait until it's almost too late to make a difference? So those features of the Emory mm. approach I like, but I am basically somebody who admired Wenger enormously, and I think he's a great man. I'll go so far as that. I think he's a great man. Have you met him in, in, in any of your... Uh Visits to the yes, yeah. I, I wouldn't claim to know him well. I met him several times, you know, on visits to the box, mm. and I remember once at an away game at Bournemouth in January 2017, two years ago. My son and I were lucky to be invited as guests of Bournemouth, as a result of the fact that I'd met the the Bournemouth chief executive in an event, and we were in a very small boardroom, very agreeable boardroom, having dinner before the match, and Arsene Wenger came up for a chat and you know I regard it as a privilege to meet him but he's interested know, in politics isn't he yeah I gather he is I <laughs> haven't discussed <laughs> okay. politics with him I gather okay. he is interested in politics <laughs> yes. and I think he's rather knowledgeable about economics I mean he's yes. a very well-educated and erudite man he's quite a cerebral mm. figure I'm not sure he was always fully understood but you know if you're asking me, do I basically salute the guy? I do salute yeah. the guy. Yeah. And I think the club should salute oh, the guy. He achieved more for Arsenal than any other manager. Yeah, that, that was one of the things that was always interesting about Arsenal and his press conferences. So when the journalists would go there, they'd, they'd ask him about news and current events. And he would always have a view on, on something that was a social question of the day. Do you, do you think he'd have made a good, good politician himself if he decided to go into that? He, he, he seemed a great speaker. I do think he would have been a good politician. I don't know whether he would have had the slightest interest. I do, partly because I think he does have an ability to focus on an issue or a a challenge. You know, I think he's got tremendous powers of concentration and application. And I do think that, certainly in my profession, it's true in other professions, I'm sure, but certainly in my profession, a certain sort of indomitable spirit, a certain never say die and indefatigability are important and put very simply i think he would have been a good politician because i think he's a fighter yeah i always think and i think you need to be robust and do i think wenger's fundamentally robust yeah i do i think he's a very robust character and it always seemed that at, at, at agms where there'd always be a slightly funny atmosphere he would be put at the front and suddenly it would yeah, calm the, yeah. the whole he's situation. He's a very eloquent man, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, for, uh, you know, in, yes. uh, you know, for football man. I mean, more eloquent. You know, his English was. I mean, obviously, he spoke five or six languages or whatever. But yeah. he spoke. He was more eloquent than most English. Yeah, which he's is a highly yes. articulate <laughs> yeah. and erudite guy, yeah. and he's thought through his views, as far as I could tell, on everything. Yeah. So you know, I think he's an extraordinarily impressive individual, and I dare say that we'll hear a lot more from him. We would meet him just for very short periods. He used to come up to the director's box and go round chatting to people and so on and I was amused on one occasion when my son was asked to recite the full Arsenal squad which he did with some enthusiasm and alacrity and Arsene Wenger looked slightly taken aback by the fact that Oliver <laughs> had learnt this by rote oh, that's great. but he seemed impressed and he was 
He was kind about it. Let's put it that way. How old is your son, maybe? Oliver is now just 15, but this was like, oh, three years ago. He he wouldn't remember (laughs) Arsenal winning a Premier League, presumably he'd have been. No, Oliver didn't have that pleasure. He's never remembered that. We have enjoyed three FA Cup victories together. Mm. Which is the sweetest? Well, in a way, I suppose winning in 2014 after such a long gap, nine years without a trophy, winning that match was sweet. I mean, we were really put through it by our great team in the yes. sense that, as you know, we were 2-0 down. And I think but barring a Kieran Gibbs clearance off the goal line, I think we would have gone three down in about the first quarter right, of an hour. Yeah, yeah. But certainly after eight minutes, I think, if I remember correctly, we were 2-0 down. And Oliver looked utterly gutted on that occasion. And I turned to him and said, look, darling, obviously it's incredibly distressing. The only thing I would say to you is keep the faith and it's better to be 2-0 down after eight minutes than it is to be 2-0 down after 80 minutes. And, of course, we got one back, I think, from Santi Cazorla before half-time and the rest is history. Absolutely. But, you know, that Aaron Ramsey winner, yeah. you know, is for me unforgettable. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the FA Cup victory in 2015 over Aston Villa was an altogether more straightforward affair. But then, just to fast forward, the victory over Chelsea was special. That was fantastic. And yeah. in that respect, I suppose, inevitably, I remember that amazing cross by Olivier Giroud and Aaron Ramsey again, yeah. all credit to him, being in the right place at the right time and delivering the winner. So what, do so, you make, what do you make of the fact now that Aaron Ramsey could be... His, it looks like he's going to be leaving. I'm sorry to see him go. Uh, Would I make an enormous fuss about it? No, I mean, I don't know quite what the motivation is. You know, I don't know whether it's that he would prefer to stay but isn't going to get a regular place and therefore is thinking about going or whether he genuinely wants to break free. He was very much a figure of the Wenger era. And, you know, change does happen and you have to accept it and work with it and nobody's indispensable. I do admit that I have a bit of a soft spot for Aaron Ramsey because although he hasn't necessarily fulfilled his potential, I thought he might push on from 2014 and become a, an altogether better and more consistent player. And, for example, his shooting, which was a bit erratic, might improve, and I don't think it has done particularly. Nevertheless, on big occasions, that guy has stepped up to the plate and made a difference, yeah. and I think he's played his heart out, and so if he does choose to go, and it looks as though he might be headed for Juventus, well, I think we should be gracious and take vicarious pride in the fact that another club wants him, mm. and we should say, Aaron, thank you, and best wishes. You have to be, when you were in matches. Sorry, Josh, no, I was only going to say that the way he's handled himself this oh, yeah. this year has been terrific, and he's been made captain, That's true. which is an unusual yeah. situation to have a player on the way out of a club and still given the armband yeah. and expected to lead by example, but he yeah. has. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got a lot of respect for for Ramsey, and I think that you know he works hard. He's got a can-do spirit. And he's more than just a hard worker with a can-do spirit. He's very talented. You know, is he a world-class player? Well, probably not. But he is a very, very, very good player. But that half season, there was that half season, wasn't there, where he, where he was the world-class player and he was yes. extraordinary. Yeah, and he yes. hasn't quite kept... I mean, he that was such a high level of It's very difficult to yeah. preserve that very high level and to make the breakthrough thereby into being, you know, an ongoing world-class player as opposed to a temporary world-class player um okay he hasn't made that transition but i think he served the club well and i think we should be proud of him ozil 
you know, we touched on him a moment ago. Yeah. I admire his talent and I marvel at some of the things he's able to do with the ball and, you know, his assist record is, you know, a very striking record. I just wish that we got the best out of him more often than Absolutely, we do. Yeah. We should talk a little bit. So for me, the, the, in recent events, the, the main uh, result that kind of had huge ramifications was the 5-1 defeat at Liverpool. Um, over Christmas, so how, what was your response to that? Do you think was that a because a lot some people you know some of the I would say hardcore Wenger supporting kind of fans that were sticking with him to the to the bitter end see this as an example of well those big defeats that we had under him at clubs like Liverpool you know we haven't got out of our system is it just because our a lot of his chosen defenders were are injured or missing was it just one one off situations because Liverpool are so good what what was your reaction to that game in particular? A number of factors. Uh, first of all, the problem of a basic weakness at the heart of the defence applied under Arsene Wenger and has not yet been treated. You know, if you regard it as a malady, it yes. has not yet been treated. It wasn't realistic to expect that it could be treated very quickly for precisely the reason that I invoked earlier, that I think that a new manager does need a transfer window and the opportunity to focus and decide who he wants to get and how he's going to go about it. That basic weakness at the heart of the defence was, I'm afraid, exacerbated by injury. And, you know, that is unfortunate, but a number of players out and just not able to perform at the heart of the defence. And I think that has made the situation a great deal worse. So... I put it down to a recurrent weakness in defence, exacerbated by injury and therefore the unavailability of a number of players for that match, and the fact, let's be fair, that Liverpool were extremely potent. We've had a number of tough gigs at Anfield over the years, going back to, I think, 2014, when we suffered a very heavy defeat there, and we suffered, I think, a 4-0 defeat there last season as well. Yeah. So it isn't a novel phenomenon. Should Unai Emery be damned to perdition because he wasn't <laughs> able to change that in one go? No, I think sometimes you have to accept, at least in the short term, that the other side is better. And although we say Arsenal's the greatest club the world has ever seen, and I stand by that view, and there's a huge history to us and a tradition and much glory... The current Liverpool team, like the current Manchester City team, is playing at a higher level than us. Now, do I just wring my hands and accept that as being a permanent state of affairs? Well, no, none of us as an Arsenal fan is going to do that. It's got to be changed. We've got to look at those weaknesses and tackle them. It was sometimes said, as you know, by Arsene Wenger's critics that he perhaps didn't regard a defender as a fully-fledged footballer. <laughs> and, yes. you know, he was very focused on an attack mentality and much that he brought to the club in that regard, particularly the sheer artistry of one-touch football at its best, was magnificent and it pulled the fans in, it was fun to watch and at its best it was very successful. Now, do I think that we should seek to preserve that best part of the Arsenal game? Yes, but just as it's true that you're not going to get the better of the very best teams or even, frankly, all that likely to end up with a draw against the very best teams if you just park the bus and try to defend for 90 minutes. Uh, equally, um, you're not going to do it if you race forward and you've got gaps exposed at the back. And I th do think that there is a problem in the defence. I think Lauren Koscielny has been a terrific servant of the club, but is he yet 
fully match fit again I know he's been back playing again but is he fully match fit I think the answer to that is no he's not back to where he was Uh, Rob Holding is out for several months we've had injuries to Hector Bellerin and you know I think Mustafi is a determined player but I think we know that he's he's often made mistakes which I'm sure he's conscious of and will try to address but you know is he a top flight defender he isn't I think we need at least one more centre-back. And at this point in time, that is a big challenge. Yeah, I think absolutely. I'll probably leave it there. But, mm. you know, am I in despair over it? No, I'm not in despair over it. I was disappointed. Yeah. I mean, I, in a way, I was almost more upset by the defeat at Southampton. Yes. And now I'm changing the subject here. You asked me about the Liverpool game, and that was disappointing. But Liverpool were ferociously impressive. They were very sharp. They were very quick-fire. They were very dominant. They were very strong. Against Southampton, I felt that we should have done better. So that, to me, was a bigger disappointment. And even perhaps on a smaller scale, the failure to get the three points at Brighton. I think that's another part of the equation, but that's also a big challenge. These are games at the moment, if I may say so, games at places like Southampton or Brighton, that Tottenham would generally win. And we've got to win those games. We've got to come away with three points. Yeah. Footballistically, Arsenal is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. What about team selection? You, you, I, I feel that um, he's reluctant to play Lacazette, isn't he, at the moment, in these big away games, for example. And I feel he would be like first name on the sheet. I've been saying this for weeks. I think he's such a hard-working and talented, skillful player. Why not play him and Aubameyang together? Does that, do you, do you, does that kind of thing uh, annoy you that Lacazette isn't played sometimes? Well, I like seeing them play together because yeah. I think that they've got a good understanding. So... I'm not quite sure what the thinking is there, and you guys may have a better sense of it, or some of your listeners may say, oh, well, you know, John ought to realise that there's a very good rationale for this. But to me, they are a great pair. And so I prefer to see them Mm. both playing. And obviously Mm. Danny Welbeck isn't available. Of course you can put Ozil up front, or, you know, you could put somebody else up front. But in my view, they feed off each other, and they understand each other, and they're both very fine players on the basis of the record so far, I suppose you would say uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is our star striker. Uh, that's what the stat shows. Sure. But I think that he often plays better when Lacazette is on the pitch, and I think that Lacazette plays better when Aubameyang yeah, totally, is on the yeah. pitch. So it seems to me that if there is an instinctive understanding between the two of them, why not let's have yeah. the pair performing at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. One of the worries, I think, from the supporters so far this season might be about the handling of the Lacazette situation because it has been clear uh, upset when he's been you know, either on the bench or that he's come off throwing gloves and that's a massive challenge about handling personalities. There was one moment, wasn't there, where he threw gloves. I think most of the time he seems to be very mature about it, I thought. I think even, even when he was substituted... Um, There's been a few times yeah. where the, he's, he's, there's I, been that I camera looking at the bench. I think well. Lacazette or Lacazette has dealt with being substituted. Well, it's a massive challenge just dealing with all these personalities mm. and, and the biggest challenges have probably been Ozil and Lacazette. Mm. Yeah. But I think he... But I feel like he... Uh, I get the sense that Emery is, is a pretty decent man-manager. I mean, you know, who knows? But from the way he does treat, greet the players when they're coming off and yeah. when they're substituting them, he feels like he's, he's taking the time to acknowledge them and to kind of... Yeah. Those who are arguing the other way might... We spoke about, you know, making impactful half-time substitutions, but the, the argument against is that he's been getting the team wrong regularly and therefore having to, you know, rectify it yes. at, at the half-time. 
but uh, it is better than the predictableness that became under became under yeah. the last manager. Certainly, I mean, this I think is probably an uncontroversial statement. Both of those players ought to be part of Arsenal's future. I mean, yeah. Obama Young has well and truly earned his crust, so to speak. He's absolutely done the business so far this season and been, I think, incredibly impressive. Uh, Lacazette has performed less frequently, so to speak, and the record isn't as good. But nevertheless, he, I think, has also shown himself in a very positive light as well. So I don't know what's going to happen with Danny Welbeck in terms of fitness and coming back into the side. That remains to be seen. But I would have thought the Obama Young Lacazette pair is very important. Yeah. And you know, you- we need not one of them. Or the other of them, we need both of them. Do you have time? You're a busy man, but do you ever watch any of the Arsenal um, social media? If for example, there's loads of great footage of Aubameyang and Lacazette with their bromance and how well they get on together. It's lovely to see that kind of relationship. Yes, yeah. I don't, <laughs> and and I don't mean that in a, a dismissive sense. <laughs> I suppose enough. that something gives, you know. <laughs> yes. And I just don't have time to do it. Sometimes my son will tell me that he's seen something, yeah. you know, on social media, yeah. and he'll alert me to it. And and quite often when he comes in to tell me things about you know team selection or transfer rumours or whatever I'll say oh has it been on Sky Sports News well sometimes it will be on Sky Sports News but quite often it's not Sky Sports News where he heard it or saw it it's something on social media mm, yeah. and so yeah he picks up quite a lot of that material but I must admit that I don't oh, I remember enough. on one occasion meeting on a train coming back from an away match a guy who was involved with Arsenal fan TV yes. and he sought to cajole and entice me into giving an interview yes, you were off. Awesome. on Arsenal Fan TV, yes, which yes, I did yes. two seasons ago or whatever. And I got the impression that he followed a lot that was said on social media about Arsenal. And I must admit that I oh, fair enough. don't. Yeah. But, you know, if I had more time, I probably would, but I yeah. haven't, so I don't. I was going to ask you, what's it like for you when you're, at the, when you're watching a match? Obviously, because you're, 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 you know, you're a famous individual, you have a, you know, I guess you have to have a certain... Reputation you have to be. Do you, do you, you know? For me, I'm sitting there when Mustafa is giving the ball away in the penalty area, and I'm swearing and I'm shouting and screaming. Would you have to kind of rein it in? Do you have to? You have to be aware <laughs> that you can't. Yes, I have to exercise a modicum so, yes. of self-control. Look, I am by nature an expressive character. Yes. I make no bones about that. And if you didn't hear me say that, you'd probably conclude it for yourself because you can, if you want, and you've got nothing better to do, you can <laughs> see me at work in the chamber. So I'm not naturally quiet or reticent Mm. and i'm not the stiff upper lip englishman at all i'm actually of on my father's side of romanian origin and i am given to expressing my views and i'm passionate Mm. both about football and indeed for that matter about tennis so do i jump up and down and yell out i do but I do try to do so positively rather than abusively. And when you say, do I have to rein it in a bit? Yes, would I make some very abusive comment about a player? No, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. But I must admit, I have sometimes thought, well, the referee's got it badly wrong. And I remember on one occasion when an Arsenal fan came up to me uh, lamenting the performance of the referee and saying that he would much prefer me to have been refereeing the match and you know i thanked him for his endorsement <laughs> but being being in the role you are and you mentioned you get invited into the director's box an opportunity or in a box do you actually quite like the fact to go and sit in your regular seat sometimes because massively. it must be a very different atmosphere massively uh, i love sitting in my 
normal seats with Oliver, which we do more often than not. I mean, most of the time. Why do I like that? Well, there are a couple of reasons. First of all, they're good seats, and we enjoy sitting there. Secondly, we've got our season ticket buddies around us. There are several people who sit around us, obviously, by definition, in the same seats over and over again. There are a couple of brothers called Mark and Stuart Craig, who are friends of mine, and they come with their mother, who is, you know, a retired woman who's been going for years. I think they've got certainly three season tickets. Well, obviously, three season tickets between them. And then around them, there are a few other people that I know. And there is a camaraderie about it, isn't there? You know, you chat, you talk about the previous match, the lineup today, what the prospects are. And, you know, if a cup final is coming up or whatever you talk about, whether you were successful in getting seats or not. So I do like that. And, you know, if you're sort of positing to me the scenario or the the notion that going, you know, in one's own space, privately, unofficially, and without having to perform, so to speak, <laughs> is that fun? Yes, uh, that is fun. and And that is, as I say, what we do most of the time. But... You know, a few times a year, we will go and join Frank Warren. And uh, the question of the director's box, which I have mentioned in passing, I mean, that is just the most extraordinary privilege, but that's not something you ask for or expect, and it may never happen again. I have no idea. But when asked, you know, I have thought, well, this is an enormous privilege. But most of the time, we're in our normal seats, and we absolutely love it. And we've got one ritual, and that is that we tend to leave from central London an hour and a half before the game starts and we get there with lots of time to spare. I'm afraid I'm neurotic about that. I like to be there with at least half an hour and preferably 40 minutes to spare. No, I get there one minute. You're in the restaurant. One minute into the the game. Do you get starstruck when you meet a player? Because when you're in the directors box, you you see them after sometimes, don't you? you... No, I've not met... Oh, really? Actually, Boyd, I've not met any of the current players. I remember on one occasion meeting Callum Chambers when I was a guest in a box and he came up, he wasn't playing at that time. I can't remember whether he was out through injury, possibly. And he came up to say hello to people. But no, I haven't met any of the current players. What I have done is met a number of players from the past. And that has been a real joy. And have I been starstruck? Yes. I can think of two people in particular, well, three people in particular, really. Um, Pat Rice... I'm a big admirer of his from yeah. 1971, the double year. And, of course, his huge contribution to the club subsequently, coaching staff and so on. Uh, David O'Leary, who is to his fingertips an Arsenal man, and what was it, 722 or 772, 722 yeah. appearances, I think, for the club or something of that order. I think he's a delightful guy. I really admire him. So both of those people I've had huge fun meeting and have ex- introduced my son to them and explain to Oliver just what their contribution to the Arsenal story has been. From the past, and Charlie George, we met Charlie George when we did a stadium tour a few years ago, and that was an enormous fun experience. If I had to pick out one from the past, whom I've had the joy of meeting and whom I esteem as much as any Arsenal player, I suppose from the 70s, it would be Liam Brady. Oh, yeah, same. I really... Have you, Brady? Ian Brady. have you met Liam Brady? No. Yes, oh, a you have, yeah. yes, 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 a number so of he, times. Yes, a number of times. And I found him a, yeah. an absolutely delightful yeah. character, quite understated. Very much so. Not a show-off, not 
bumptious, not cocky, not inclined to pontificate about yeah. his own achievements or anything of that sort at all. Really quite modest, but he really was a great player. Oh. And I remember Oliver saying to me on one occasion, well, Dad, because I was trying to explain Liam Brady's playing style and his artistry, his ability to produce a wonderful pass and so on. And I was sort of saying, well, he's not altogether unlike. In some ways, he's quite analogous to Alexis Sanchez. And Dad said, yes, but was he better than Sanchez? And I said, ah, Oliver, that's always the age-old problem of trying to compare across generations. I mean, who knows? In some ways, the sports science advance and, you know, what people know about fitness, you know, is that much greater today? And in some respects, no doubt, the game has moved on tremendously. But in terms of sheer talent of raw ability, I felt that Liam Brady... You know, was one of the Arsenal greats. Oh, without doubt, yeah. He was definitely more modest than Alexis Sanchez, I think. Uh, well, that <laughs> probably wouldn't be difficult. <laughs> um, of the current crop, who, who would you most like to meet? Or uh, That's another way of asking who's your favourite player in the current squad. I think I would like to meet Obama Young. Yeah. I think of all the current Arsenal players, and I haven't met him, he was my choice. Yeah, he was the one, he is the one that I would most like to meet. As it happens, I... Very much admire, and I've always remembered, as we said earlier, we talked about it, Aaron Ramsey's input. And because I always think that he's a very open-looking character, quite straightforward, quite direct, and has got a very sort of honest face, he's somebody that I would like to meet. So I haven't met those people. I certainly wouldn't want to give you guys the impression that I've met very large numbers of Arsenal players. I make no such boast at all. But... It would be a, a pleasure and a privilege mm. at some stage to do so. But of the current squad, I would say Obama Young. And, you know, I remember on one occasion meeting Thierry Henry, and that to me was a joy because, you know, I thought he was just the most extraordinarily gifted player. But I never met, for example, Dennis Bergkamp. And, you know, opinions differ about who the greatest of the Arsenal greats is. Some people say... Uh, Thierry Henry and other people say well in terms of all round play and the capacity to get the best out of every one of his teammates in that sense sort of sheer leadership skill Dennis Bergkamp was on a par yeah I mean but they're definitely up there and come on is there a game that stands out from all the years of going to Arsenal that you, you almost wish you could go back and watch again as a fan from the stands is there one that stands out? I know you spoke about the cup finals is there anything else that sticks out I'm afraid the cup finals are special. I mean, certainly, I've, I know I come back to it, but I've, I suppose because I just thought how awful it was to be 2-0 down. That Arsenal victory in 2014 over Hull, you know, ranks very high in my memory. <sighs> what else would I say is writ large? Well, very recently, I prefer to remember one and forget the other of our two contests with Tottenham. Mm. So... In recent times, that 4-2 victory over Tottenham at the Emirates was amazing. Not least because we came from behind, and I really felt the team stepped up to the plate and asserted itself, and there was not just skill, although quite extraordinary skill and pace and creativity, but also character in not accepting the reverse, so to speak. And it was a reverse. We were 1-0 up and then all of a sudden equaliser and 2-1 down. I think within five minutes of being 1-0 up, we were 2-1 down, if memory is accurate. And so to come back and win that 4-2 was very special. 
I'm not sure that I can think of that many others. There was a game, the game, what, two or three seasons ago. This does stick in my mind, but not totally clearly, as what I'm about to say probably testifies. But that win at the Etihad against Manchester City, that 2-0 win, was special. And going back to 2015, I would say the FA Cup quarter or semi-final victory... I think it was a quarterfinal victory, wasn't it? Yeah, a quarterfinal victory over Man United. That, to me, was a special game. And look, these are arbitrarily plucked, and it may be some of your listeners will say, oh, this is, <laughs> you know, very anecdotal. I mean, I'm not ranking them on any sort of scientific or statistical basis, but if you're asking me in terms of emotion, you know, what really is writ large in my mind, what do I remember with particular joy and sense of exhilaration those are the examples you mentioned the two north london derbies the other one i think got, got mentioned on on the floor of parliament was it bob blackburn reference oh, bob blackman yes well to be fair to bob blackman who's a very good and committed member he had been on the receiving end of modest teasing and ribaldry from me after the 4-2 arsenal victory over tottenham because i think if I remember correctly, he stood up to ask a question in the House fairly shortly afterwards, and I made a reference to the 4-2 victory for Arsenal and some comment about how he was no doubt doing his best to recover from his state of despondency or words to that effect. I can't remember which he took in good part. He said, I am determined not to be provoked, Mr Speaker. (laughs) But of course he got his own back when... They beat us 2-0 in the Carabao Cup. So you're quite right. He did a a bit of sign language to refer to the result. But I suppose what I can say to you is that football is discussed by colleagues. I mean, lots of MPs like football. And Tracy Crouch, for example, the former sports minister, you know, is by background a football coach. And she's a very devoted Tottenham fan. Well, she's often, and she's a friend of mine, come up to the chair for a chat. And that chat has not always been about some piece of political business it's often been about football and bob has done the same and then there are arsenal supporters well ian duncan smith and mike penning are tottenham fans on the conservative side but then sam jima recently departed as university's minister recently resigned from the government but sam jima's an arsenal fan and jeremy lafroy who's a tory mp in stafford he's an arsenal fan jeremy corbyn of course is well known to be an arsenal fan and on the opposition side You know, amongst the great football fans, well, there are lots of them. Um, Keith Vaz and Jim Shannon, who's a Democratic Unionist Party MP, are both very devoted Leicester City fans. But just thinking off the top of my head, Lucy Powell in Manchester is a Manchester City fan. And my friend, and she is a good friend, Alison McGovern, who's a Labour MP in the Wirral. Alison is a fanatical Liverpool fan. So we do talk about these things. So you have banter with yes. the, with each other. Yeah. When well, we think you're talking about high high state <laughs> affairs, you're talking about after versus well, Liverpool. Quite often. <laughs> Just keeping on the, the theme, and I'm aware we're, we're coming to the end of the podcast. You, you spoke about almost sympathy for a referee before when a, on a fan. Is that almost because of the role you have in Parliament? Do you, do you see any similarities between your role in almost a, a referee and, and keeping order? Do, do you have referees that you you know you, you feel sympathetic to? There is no particular referee to whom I feel sympathetic. I mean, I suppose as a breed, I 
do feel some sympathy for them, yes, because they're having to make instant judgments and they can't please everybody. I have sometimes been critical um, of a referee when I think Arsenal have had a pretty unfair deal. But if you ask me, you know, partly because of what I do, is there a sort of a basic empathy with the referee? Yes, I think there is, because, as I say, they can't satisfy everybody and they are trying to do the right thing. And sometimes fans would like him to make the decision that would be convenient rather than necessarily the decision that is right. And they might not even admit it to themselves, but I think we've all probably succumbed to that phenomenon from time to time. For example, you know, we've wanted a penalty when we've been behind and desperately needed it, and we might momentarily have persuaded ourselves that we deserved a penalty, and then when you look at the replay, it is perfectly clear that, frankly, it wasn't a penalty. And conversely, I remember being extremely hacked off when Arsenal were playing Leicester. I can't remember who the referee was, but the referee gave a penalty when Jamie Vardy went down in the area a couple of seasons ago, and it was given. And at the time, I said, that's not a penalty. And a friend of mine sitting next to me said, John, if you think that's not a penalty, he said, I would just say, stick to politics. <laughs> so, yeah, I do. I do have some sympathy. I better not say who, because I'd rather not get into that. But I know that Arsenal fans do tend to complain about particular referees yes. whom they think are unfair. But... Overall, I think, look, they're trying to do the right thing. And perhaps I could say to you, by the way, that my son, Oliver, 15, has for the last 13 months himself been a qualified referee. He's qualified, obviously, at the lowest level, but he did the exam and he now referees regularly and he is training at the Arsenal Academy. So, you know, he has an instinct, I think, for keeping order, and I can't imagine from whom he inherited <laughs> An instinct for keeping order runs in the family. <laughs> it appears would, to do so. Would you like to have VAR in the commons? You know? Well, that would help you, wouldn't it, sometimes? When there's like think, the odd lip-reading moment? Or a... <laughs> I think that may well be a recipe for more challenges. <laughs> I think I'll probably leave it at that uh, for the time being. Have you ever got into a... Has the banter with, with your em, 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 fellow MPs ever got out of hand? Have you ever had a row about football with anyone? You know, no. It's ne- no. No, it's I haven't. Very civilized. I haven't. I mean, it's often in the chamber... And therefore, you have to keep it yes. under wraps to some degree. You've got to maintain a semblance, or better than a semblance, of civility. I mean, I could imagine getting involved in an argument about football, because I do feel passionately, and certainly if I thought some injustice were being done to a favourite player of mine. But no, I mean, I'm sorry to sound rather no, no. prosaic and boring <laughs> about it, but no, they have been good-natured exchanges. I mean, I've been teased. Oh, sure, I've been teased when Arsenal have lost. And, you know, any member could do that. But I think you take that in the right spirit. And I think, you know, if I were to react badly, I think that would, well, just be... Straightforwardly, do you ever bump into? Like, do you ever bump into Jeremy Corbyn at Arsenal? He's, 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 he goes most games. Doesn't he? I've never bumped into him there. We did have contact, text contact, on one occasion when he was at a match and I was at a match, and and then we did see each other at no, a distance because right. we weren't very far away from <laughs> right. each other. Have I gone to a game with him? Uh, the answer is I haven't done. But you know, we've been at several games together. I think I tend to get the opportunity to go more frequently than he does, and I don't say that in any sense as a boast. You know, he's oh. got very heavy commitments. As far as I'm concerned, you know, I have got a heavy schedule. I do work hard and I've got long hours on the job. But for me, almost reverting to what we were talking about at the outset, that release 
is incredibly important. And I don't claim to be a cricket fan or a rugby fan. I can watch a test match or part of a test match or a rugby match, but they're not writ large in my mind. But tennis and football are big passions of mine. And just being able to switch off and go to watch a match is incredibly important. And when I'm watching a football match and cheering... I am not thinking about work. I'm not thinking about politics. I'm not thinking about challenges or problems that I might face. I'm purely thinking about the game there and then and the need to win. Oh, that's great, yeah. And in fact, the same is the case, even if I'm watching like an away match at home. Mm. Uh, Oliver and I will sit and watch an away match. And would I, for example, take a phone call, you know, during a match... No. I mean, you know, if there was some consideration of family health involved, then sure. obviously. But would I otherwise take a call from someone during a match? No. As a, one friend of mine who better remain nameless, parliamentary colleague of mine, who's a very dear friend, has been a friend for decades, who once said to me, John, I hope you don't mind my saying this, but if we're going to be good friends, I should be very grateful if you did not call me before 9.30am and preferably not before 10. I am not a morning person. And <laughs> I've always adhered to that rubric and similarly i've always said to him please do not knowingly call me during either an arsenal football match or a roger federer tennis match i do not wish to engage with you when i am watching one or other but there must be times we, we, we are running out of time but quickly there must be times when the house is going late quite late into the night so what midweek evening games you must miss some of those sometimes you must be or do you or do you get someone else to no, for you. <laughs> uh, the answer is that although I've ha- very occasionally had to miss a game because of a work commitment, not necessarily even in an evening, I had to go to a service recently, a commemorative service in relation to the First World War on a Sunday, and that meant missing the Arsenal Wolves game, which I was very reluctant to miss, but you know, needs must, and I had to miss it. And I missed the Arsenal-Brentford game because I was abroad at the time. And, you know, that was unavoidable. I think I was in Switzerland at the time on a visit. But otherwise, no, I don't really miss those evening games because I am supported by three Mm. deputies who also chair the business of the House. There are three deputy speakers. And if you want to know what I do, the answer is I front load my chairing commitment. I have always tended to chair more hours than I'm supposed to chair rather than fewer, because I would rather be accused of hogging the chair than of being an absentee landlord. So nobody can say, oh, well, the thing about Burko is he's always skiving off. That thesis, if anybody tried to advance it, would carry no weight or conviction whatsoever and would never gain any traction. I think somebody recently did moan about, some unnamed source moaned about the fact that I'd granted a debate but then gone to an Arsenal match in the evening, and there was a sort of slight suggestion that (laughs) that wasn't the right thing to do. But the answer is, Boyd, as I say, I chair more hours than the Speaker traditionally has done but I tend to take the view well if Arsenal are playing that night I will chair for hours beforehand and then I come out of the chair and one of the deputies takes over and none of them has ever complained about that and I don't think any of them ever would complain but about say, that. Say the big Brexit debate you know is happening yes. on, a, on a Tuesday evening and Arsenal playing are you secretly going to have Arsenal updates on your phone or something to at least keep you in touch or, or and, you... and no doubt somebody would keep me posted somebody would keep me posted in those circumstances finally it's tradition on this podcast uh, uh, to predict to give our predictions to the next game so the next game is West Ham away I'm sure you'll be watching on Saturday <laughs> um, 
twelve thirty kickoff. Is that right? It is. Yeah. What I'm going, boy. Looking oh, forward to excellent. it. Yeah. You're I'll, going. Yeah. Of course. Wow. Yeah. Josh yeah. is very good. At going well, I like the well. idea that one day when this all calms down, you, we can all go together in the away oh, end to I the game with all of the four of us. I think that would be great fun. Do you two go together? Sometimes. Occasionally. Occasionally. So, boy, it's in club level. Yeah. Oh, do you? Yes. So whereas I'm down. I'm very elitist. Yes, I've got club level tickets. Season ticket. Wow. Yeah, it's great. It's kind of ferociously expensive. Yeah, it was the only way, because I've had club level ever since the Emirates um, was arrived. We moved to the Emirates, and that was the only way to get a season ticket for me was to get a club level. So, it's most of my, out, my outgoings are Arsenal. <laughs> whereas I'm down in, in the corner in block 12, but uh, on the odd away game, that's when we get yeah, a chance to go together. Go together, yeah. yeah. And sometimes you sit next to me. When I have been to. West Ham in the past uh, to a West Ham Arsenal game. I went the year, what was it, about five years ago, the, the game that Arsenal won. No, I beat two. I went to one that Arsenal won 3 1 from 1 0 down. And then I, Oliver and I went and we were behind the goal in the away area when we won 2 1. I think We've got a quite a good record. Year later, yeah, quite a good record yeah. at trips to we West Ham. Yeah. What do I expect? So the, yeah, the question is, you have to predict a score line. Yes. That's part of the. Uh... Yes. <laughs> well, we haven't kept many clean sheets this season, but I'm going to suggest that we'll win two nil. No, very good. Joshua, well, well I'll say two one. What okay, you void. Uh, I'm going to say three one then. Yes. Okay, I can't see us keeping a clean sheet in the league. No, it's, it's got, got to happen. Sooner or it's got to happen eventually. Yes. Um, all I can say is, Mr. Speaker, it's been an absolute privilege to have you on the podcast. Please come back. I mean, you know, if, you, if whenever we get over this busy period for politics. <laughs> 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 no, we well, look, back. boy, Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure for me. And Thank you. to all of your listeners who take in a regular interest and listen to what you have to say and to your various guests, I say three cheers. We are in solidarity, I hope, with each other as people who are devoted to Arsenal. Once an Arsenal fan, always an Arsenal fan. In my case now, it's 47 coming up to 48 years. Although I've only actually been a season ticket holder since 2012. But having got the season tickets, you know, we are determined to keep them. And by the way, I ought to pay tribute to my wife because it was my wife who said to me, you say you're an Arsenal fan, but you don't go very often. And I said, well, honey... You know, I've got constituency commitments and politics rather took over from other things. And she said to me, well, if you support the team, she said, I think you should make time to go. And she also had a view to our emerging family. And she said, you know, I think it would also be great if you went with Oliver because it would give him an interest and it would be good bonding and so on. Get yourself a couple of season tickets. And I said, well, I think you'll find, honey, that it's not quite as straightforward as that. This was in 2005. I said, I think you'll find there's a waiting list. And she said, well, put yourself on the waiting list. So I put myself on the waiting list with Oliver and we waited six and a half years. And then we got the season tickets in 2012. And having got those season tickets, which are really precious and, you know, is the most wonderful source of enjoyment, frustration, but enjoyment and exhilaration, I'm not, getting rid of them oh um, kudos to mrs burko definitely so i think sally showed good <laughs> judgment there very good judgment. and she's very good about it you know she says says well i think it's really important that you go and that you have that outlet for your energies and you you divert mm. from mm. work and so on so yeah. you know from one arsenal fan to two others two others uh, probably uh, rather more expert than i uh, thank you thank you very much thank you thank you footballistically arsenal is backed for the season by ladbrooks 
This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.